0: was beautiful. And, um, did you write that yourselves? Yeah. Beautiful. Wonderful. I love it. I love, I love the line, you know, we're taking back this nation. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. And it's very much in fitting with the, uh, with the message today. And, um, but, uh, Glory to God. I'm excited. You know, see songwriters and musicians and, you know, ministers being raised up in all sorts of arenas and areas. And I believe this needs to be happening. Amen. We want to see uh, this nation come to Christ. You know, I'm reminded of those uh, words of of John Wesley just give me 100 ministers who desire nothing but God and, uh, hallelujah, fear nothing but sin, and we'll take this nation is what he said so you know uh one of the things studying these men uh you know many of these men and women of god that went before us is just they saw the importance of raising up others and um you know particularly those of us who have been around the church for any length of time at times have seen the the that at times sometimes church don't doesn't do that and i think it's it's um it's, it's a pity because it limits what God can do. But you know what? When we start raising up men and women, and that's why Bible school is important, and um, you know that we, because uh, again, the Lord has called us to raise up uh, disciples, um, and, and this is so important. It's the calling. Jesus said, go make disciples of the nations. Um, he, he didn't just say, go make converts. He said, make disciples, amen? So, uh, glory to God. Let's Let's pray today. Lord, we just thank you for today for your word, and we ask the Spirit of God you would speak to us, Lord. We thank you for your word is living and active, Lord. It is the truth. And uh, as we stand here today, Lord, and the final Sunday before we um, have people come back to church, Lord, we just thank you that you have kept us, that we are kept by the power of God. You have kept us by your power. You've covered our head in the day of battle. Hallelujah. To, to God the Lord belong the escapes of, from death. You have, you have delivered us, Lord, from every assignment of the enemy. And we give you praise and glory, Lord. Hallelujah. We're so excited in Jesus' name. So, uh, uh, this is part two of reigning in righteousness. And I want to start by reading uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. And... Um, Praise the Lord. Uh, sweetheart, uh, my uh, glasses, I'm going to need them. Thank you, Lord. I, I keep forgetting those things. Um, but Revelation <laughs> Revelation 5 and verse 10, and it says, um, Glory to Jesus. What does it say? They're in the, the yeah. Thank you, sweetheart. Praise you, Jesus. Revelation 5 and verse 10. And you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Praise God. We shall reign on the earth. That's why I just loved that song uh, on dominion uh, that Rang and Grace just sang, because it's, it's, it's got that, that sense of, of how we're called to reign. And, um, you know, I believe this message today will set you free um, from a lot of uh, erroneous ideas that we have um, uh, taken on board over the centuries, and um, you know, it's, 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 this is one of the issues I think the Christian church is, is dealing with right now, is, is many times we, we hold certain beliefs, not necessarily because they're in the Bible, but simply because we've believed that way for, for hundreds of years, uh, but the Bible here says, we shall reign, but it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't just say, in the next life. Uh, Romans five seventeen says, Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign as kings in life by one man, Jesus Christ. And, uh, and another verse says, Shall reign as kings in life by one man, Jesus Christ. And so, um, it, again, it doesn't relegate it to the next life. Because too many times, I think, uh, as believers, we, we push everything off until the next life. And... Um, for if by one man's offence death reigned, truth one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So let's understand righteousness is a gift, it's not something you earn or merit or are rewarded. It's not something you will ever be worthy of, it's not something you will ever attain to. And I think it's important because some Christians think that, you know, if they do enough good deeds, they'll somehow attain to righteousness. And it's uh, completely unbiblical because it says, the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So here the Bible says that we will reign in life. Because, like I said, you know, so many times we've been taught, yes, we'll reign in eternity. It's going to be great. You're going to be healed in eternity. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. But through this life, you have to be sad, miserable, depressed, etc. I don't believe that is biblical. The Bible here talks about reign in life. And um, so, again, uh, the Bible says that we will reign in this life, but not without righteousness. Because righteousness is simply... Right standing with God. It's the ability to stand in God's holy presence without fear or condemnation. And ultimately, this is the thing that mankind has longed for since the Garden of Eden. Amen? And so, again... you know, if, if we don't grasp this, we will always be struggling. And, and so, what does it mean to reign in life? And exactly, how do we reign anyway? Um, is this not a selfish or a superficial desire? Work? Yes. Serve? Definitely. Suffer? Of course. But reign? It just doesn't seem right uh, for those of us who have been religiously brainwashed. And so, uh, firstly, we need to clarify that it's God and not man who says this. So again, I just ask you, stick with me um, with this message. I know for some of you may be a little uncomfortable or challenging, or maybe you may even get mad and end up cursing at the TV. I don't know, but you know what? Truth will set you free, the Bible says. And like I said, uh, it's important that we see what does the word of God says, because here it's God and not man who says that we will reign. And so you can go through all sorts of protracted explanations and exemptions, but the truth is, God says that we will reign. And if you want to put this off until the next life, that's entirely your choice. But Romans 5.17 says we will reign in this life. But you cannot and will not reign without righteousness. Okay, And yet so many times the church emphasizes our sinfulness, inadequacy, and failure rather than our righteousness. And this fosters within many of us a sense of inferiority, shame, condemnation, defeat, and a consciousness of sin rather than a consciousness of God. Amen? We must be conscious of God. Uh, and and uh, of course I believe in repentance. Of course I believe in living holy. But in many instances, I think as the church, we place such an emphasis upon sin and upon, uh, you know, where we're coming from. That we forget about where we're going to and who we are <coughs> in Christ. So, I appreciate in Mark 1.15, Jesus said, Repent. First words of Jesus, repent. But he also said, repent and believe the gospel. So I think it's important to take it in context. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Believe what? Believe uh, in the new birth and the power of the righteousness or right standing that you have been afforded true faith in Christ. The righteousness that we find at the foot of the cross. Because until you appropriate the righteousness that is yours in Christ, um, you know, you will always struggle, amen? Because, uh, you know, until you appropriate the righteousness that Christ purchased uh, through his blood, you will be like a homeless man who lives in poverty and misery, unaware of the fact that he has inherited a mansion and great wealth. It's rightfully his, but until he discovers and accesses what is his, he will continue to live in destitution and want. And the sad truth is that many believers are woefully ignorant of what is theirs through Christ. George Whitfield said this, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is one of those great mysteries which the angels desire to look into and seems to be one of the first lessons that God taught men after the fall. And so, you know, one of the first lessons God taught to mankind after the fall of man was righteousness. Well, why did God teach man about righteousness? Because he wants us to come into his presence more than even we want to come ourselves. Genesis 3.21 says, he clothed them in skins of an animal. What was the first thing that happened after Adam and Eve sinned? They saw they were naked. They hid from God. They no longer felt, uh, uh, you know, confidence in his presence um, The first thing God did after they sinned, uh, you know, he clothes them with skins. um, But in order to have skins, an innocent animal had to die. You see, blood had to be shed, thus revealing the way into God's presence. God cares for us. He's our provider, and he has made a way through the blood. Hebrews 9 and 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The New King James. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Leviticus seventeen eleven: For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon, to make atonement for your souls upon the altar. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The new living. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you, uh, the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. And so we see all through the Old Testament, the principle of the priest offering the blood on behalf of the people. Because God knows that there's literally no other way into his presence than through the blood. All of our righteousness... Is as filthy rags. Isaiah 64 and 6. For we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Um, Let me read this quote by Charles Spurgeon. "'Self-righteousness exclaims, "'I will not be saved in God's way. "'I will make a new way to heaven. "'I will not bow before God's grace. "'I will not accept the atonement "'which God wrought out in the person of Jesus. "'I will be my own redeemer. "'I will enter heaven by my own strength "'and glorify my own merits.'" The Lord is very wroth against self righteousness. I do not know of anything against which his fury burneth more than against this, because this touches him in a very tender point. It insults the glory and honor of his son, Jesus Christ. That is a very powerful quote. You know, that our self-righteousness insults the honor and glory that belongs to Jesus Christ. And so, we must never dishonor Christ by trying to save or recommend ourselves to God. We are saved by grace and grace alone. The moment we start trying to save ourselves or start trying to improve ourselves or start trying to perform to somehow earn something or to earn our own self-righteousness, what we are saying to God is, Lord, I don't need the cross. I can save myself. And so, many times we feel we're very sincere and we're very devout in what we're doing. But what we're doing is we're actually insulting God because we're not taking at face value what Christ did on the cross. Amen? And so, it is by grace. Romans 321 in the Holman Bible says, But now, apart from the Lord, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. That is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented them as a propitiation through faith in His blood to demonstrate His righteousness. Amen? His righteousness. Not your righteousness, His righteousness. Not the righteousness of your church or denomination, His righteousness. To demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. So that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I die, I want to die in the righteousness of Christ. Not in the righteousness of John. Because the righteousness of John or the righteousness of Joanna or anybody else will not stand the fires of eternity. The only righteousness that will present you before God, holy, blameless, and unreprovable, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, when you discover that God has declared you righteous through Christ, your prayer life will literally soar. Your prayer life will be transformed when you discover that you're righteous. Because no longer will you spend your prayer time telling God what a miserable, low-down dog you are. Rather, you will be thanking Him that He made you righteous, that you have access, and that you can now come boldly before God's holy throne of grace. Amen? That's why Hebrews chapter 4 says... Therefore, since we've got a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Bible says, come boldly. It doesn't say, come. Oh, God. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so miserable. I'm such, I'm such a worm of the dust. I'm so unworthy. I'm so, oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, God. Do you think that glorifies God? No, it doesn't. That insults him because you are, you are saying what Jesus did on the cross was not enough for you. But when you discover that you're the righteousness of God, you can come into his presence and say, Lord, thank you. I can come into your presence. I'm righteous in your sight. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've failed. But I thank you, Lord. You said, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all in righteousness. I don't feel like I'm forgiven, but I know I am because your word says it. We have to stop living by feelings and start living by faith. And that's the first point. Righteousness is by faith in the finished work of Christ. And I just want to quickly go over the points we made last week. Uh, Charles Spurgeon again. The greatest enemy to human souls is the self righteous spirit, which makes men look to themselves for salvation. So if you're looking to yourself, it's because you're full of religion and self righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. Paul here says that he's not ashamed of the gospel. And it says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who in Rome also. So again, here Paul is talking about the gospel. So it's interesting to hear what does Paul define as the gospel. Because I think a lot of what passes for the gospel isn't within NASA's roar of the gospel. Okay, here Paul defines the gospel and he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, again, while I'm talking about righteousness, uh, you know, uh, I'm not talking about much of what, uh, you know, the kind of psychobabble that that, that has become popular in in certain circles, uh, trendy circles of the church. I think we need to come back to basics and we need to hear what does Paul define as the gospel? And first thing he defines is as salvation. And you know, as the church, we need to get back to focusing on salvation as opposed to all of these irrelevant, um, you know, side issues that have nothing to do with the gospel. Amen? And so he said... uh, For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Amen? And it says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written "The just shall live by faith. So here if you're preaching the gospel, righteousness should certainly be be front and center in terms of what we are preaching. Amen? We, We must focus on righteousness. We must understand righteousness because I've seen people that have been in church for 20, 30 years and Still, they do not have a clue about righteousness. I, I sure hope God heard my prayer. You know, that, that just betrays a level of ignorance that is tragic. And I'm not trying to be harsh or smart. Uh, but I'm just simply saying, we need to understand our righteousness. Because until we do, we will not go anywhere with God. And, and, and that's why you have churches that are just full of religion. Where, where the focus is on whether or not you wear jewelry or makeup or, you know, where the focus is on the hem rather than on the heart. And I think we need to come back to the word of God and see what does the word say? Let it be the hidden person of the heart. It, it, so you're not any more holy by not wearing, you know, jewelry than you are by wearing it. And man, I, I just think it's silly. We need to get beyond this point. And this is why we haven't, you know, taken the ground that, that we need to, because if I'm not confident of my righteousness, how can I lead anybody else into the righteousness of God? If I don't understand righteousness, why should we be surprised if an unsaved world doesn't? Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants to set some of you free today. Jesus' name. Praise God. And so it says, uh, the righteousness of God from faith to faith, as written, the just shall live by faith. So righteousness is by faith in the finished work of Christ. Paul declared he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Because it reveals the righteousness of God. And you know, we're living in a day where we're going to be increasingly confronted with the question, what am I willing to suffer for Christ and what price am I willing to pay to take this message to others? Am I willing to suffer shame on behalf of Christ and his kingdom or will I be ashamed of him? You know, Acts chapter five, verse 40. And at this, they yielded to Gamaliel. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. How many of us would have walked out of there after getting a flogging and say, Lord, I can't believe it. I can't believe you left that happen to me. I thought I was in your will, Lord. I mustn't be in your will. No, just because you're encountering opposition or challenges doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. Fact is, uh, if you're in the will of God, I assure you, you will encounter those things. And so, but I love their attitude. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. Why were the disciples willing to suffer and die on behalf of Christ? Because they were absolutely. Convinced that he had risen from death. Because for a man... It's important to understand a man will not die for a lie, but they were truly convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They believed absolutely that the cross was a finished work, a a complete work, and that salvation and righteousness were now available to all mankind through Jesus Christ, and they couldn't think of any more important task than going to tell the world that he lives. That's why Romans 10 says that if you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus confessed your uh, you will be saved. For the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So again, 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, God has given us the message of reconciliation, and that message is, is that, you know, no matter where you have sinned or where you have done wrong, you can become righteous Because of what Jesus has done. Amen. We go to heaven because of what he has done. As opposed to what we can do. And it's important to make that distinction. But it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Amen. So again. There is no... Prayer, there is no sacrifice, there is no uh, work, there is no sacrifice or or, or ritual that you can undergo that can make you righteous. It was done in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us, the message of reconciliation. You see, it's all God, and therefore, he gets all the glory. Amen. D.L. Moody said this, God has nothing to say to the self righteous So you may know more Bible verses than anybody in the room. You may consider yourself to be living the most holy life compared to anybody else around you. And God has nothing to say to you if you are self-righteous. That is quite a sobering statement. God has nothing to say to the self-righteous. On the cross, Christ declared, it is finished. Why? The price was paid at the cross. And if something is finished, you can't add to, subtract, or improve it. We are saved by grace and grace alone. Amen? Uh, Thomas Adams said this, Self-righteousness is the devil's masterpiece to make us think well of ourselves. Hey, I am nothing without Jesus, and neither are you. Amen. On our best day, we don't meet the mark. All have sinned and fallen short. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Righteousness enables us to access the presence of God. So firstly, it's a finished work. Secondly, righteousness enables us to access the presence of God. Psalm 24 says, "'Fling wide the gates, open the ancient doors, and the king will come in.'" Who is this great king? He is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord victorious in battle. "'Fling wide the gates, open the ancient doors.'" and the great king will come in. I believe this refers to Christ our Savior. And understand this, the early church is persecuted, but it was a victorious church. I believe the end times church, we may be persecuted, but we will be a victorious church. We will be a triumphant church. We're not going to be a defeated church. We're not going out with a whimper. We're going out with a shout in Jesus' name. We're not going to be tiptoeing around the place, walking on eggshells, hoping that nobody sees us. No, we're going to have a new boldness. We're going to have a new authority. We're going to have a new power that's going to be manifested in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We're we're going to be a church that's moving forward because the Bible says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. Hallelujah. So I believe this refers to Christ our Savior. Open wide the gates and the King of glory. I believe that's referring to Jesus. You see, understanding our righteousness opens the door to fellowship and intimacy with God. And that's why you see some of those legalistic churches are filled with some of the most miserable people you will ever see. Miserable, unhappy, cantankerous, frustrated. Why? Because they're full of condemnation, full of legalism, full of shame. Irrespective of how religious they are, they may be living better lives than the majority of people around them. It doesn't matter because they're not righteous and therefore they cannot have peace. You see, righteousness restores our relationship with God so that we don't have any fear or inferiority. Righteousness enables us to access God's presence. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren. And having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Here it's talking about the holy of holies. The place where only the priest could go once a year. He would have to have a rope tied around his ankle. If he had sinned, he'd drop dead. They'd just drag him out and say, bring up the next high priest. <laughs> he'd be like, you know, making sure before he went in there, he had to make sure he had confessed all of his sins and that... You know, he was ready to go in there. You know, that was a sobering job to have if you weren't, you weren't allowed to have an off day, you know. But here the Bible says we can have boldness. I'm sure the priest, when he went in there, a high priest once a year, I'm sure he was shaking. I'm sure he had a degree of fear and anxiety. But the Bible says we have boldness to enter into God's holy presence. Why? Because of the blood. Because we are righteous. Because of Jesus. Could somebody say, thank you, Lord? You see, we were made for God's presence the way a fish was made for water and the way a bird was made for the air. Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a Woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, true God. Hallelujah. You're no longer a slave, you're a son. A revelation of righteousness changes you from working like a slave to walking as a son, to walking as a daughter of God. And there's a huge difference because churches are full of sincere, godly people who are operating and functioning as servants and not as sons. Not even as servants because obviously we're all called to serve. Jesus came to serve, but they're operating as slaves as a to sons. Amen? And because as long as you walk and work and think like a slave, you can never enter enter into the fullness of what God the Father has for you. Why? He's a father, not a slave owner. And yet, if you were to look at some churches and how people operate, you would think that God is a slave owner. He's not. He's a father. Jesus said when you pray, say, our father. Jesus Christ is now our righteousness. You're not a slave. You're a son. Amen? And it sets you free from legalism. And that's what I pray today, as some of you are listening, that God will set you free from legalistic thinking. I'm not talking about getting a license to sin. When you understand your righteousness, you will live holy. And until you do, you will have all sorts of bondages in your life. You see, the third point is this. Righteousness permits God's power to flow in and through your life. James 5.16, confess to one another, therefore your faults, your slips, uh, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. That's the amplified version of James 5.16. Hallelujah! The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. And I'm in it's working. You see, righteousness gives us confidence in prayer and enables us to believe God big. You know that's why we're doing this. We joined in with this day of prayer all over Ireland and the UK, Republic and Northern Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales. We're going to be praying. We're going to be lifting our voices in prayer. You might say, Pastor John, you only had a day of prayer a month ago. So. You know, we, we, I believe there's a, there's a greater realm of prayer God wants us to step into. You look at any of the men and women of God who walked in revival, they were men and women of prayer. You know, Charles G. Finney, you know, he had a man called Brother Nash would go into a town, uh, you know, days or even weeks before he'd come to that place and that man would lock himself in the room and for days and days and days, he would do nothing other than groan. He would groan and lie on the floor and pray and get into deep intercession. and you know what, Finney would turn up and the power of God would just touch that place. People would be falling down in bars without even having heard the gospel, falling down in conviction. Fact is, his train went through one town, I think it was in New York one time, he was on his way somewhere, and it's just because his train was passing through the town, the town came under deep conviction. People were falling down in bar rooms in repentance and conviction of their sin because of what that man carried, but it was rooted in prayer. And this is what the church needs to rediscover. We need to rediscover how to pray, Amen. But you can't pray with boldness if you don't understand your righteousness. So it's all related to each other, Amen. Righteousness gives us confidence in prayer and enables us to believe God big. Job thirty three twenty six. He restores to man his righteousness. He's a God of righteousness. And, restoration. and he will do great things in your life because righteousness causes your faith to literally come alive. Because you can't believe God for a miracle as long as you're filled with shame and condemnation. But whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. And the first thing he sets you free from is guilt and shame and condemnation and legalism. Amen. So righteousness sets you free from fear and inferiority, from guilt and shame. Hebrews 12 talks about looking on to Jesus. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, as I stand at the cross and behold Christ, my righteousness, I lose sight of what I've done or where I've failed. My past loses power to determine my future. My heart swells with pride as I look at Christ, my Savior. Taking my place, bearing my sin, because he is my righteousness. He is my peace. He is my hope. In him, I am free. And you know, much like many of you watching today, I spent much of my Christian life. And I'll say this, I'm saved now 30 years. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm saved 30 years, and, and, and much like many of you who are watching today, I spent much of my life beating myself up, full of shame and condemnation, never feeling like I'm measured up, always feeling inadequate. And, and this is the reason why many of you are always asking others to pray for you rather than praying yourselves. And of course, there's a time and a place to request prayer, but sometimes people are asking for prayer simply because they don't believe they're righteous, and therefore they don't believe that God hears their prayer. Oh, he'll hear her prayer, he'll hear his prayer, but he wouldn't he'll hear mine, and that's not biblical. Um, William Gurnall, 1617 to 1679, he was an English Puritan, author of The Christian and Complete Armor, and he said this, thou must be righteous and holy before thou canst live righteously and holily. Some of you might be saying, Pastor John, why are you quoting all these dead people? Because when I, when I, I read what they said, it stirs something in my soul, and it feeds something in my soul. Because these men and women walked in something that many of us are not walking in today. And I want to I wanna step into it. And, and I hear it in their words. You know, and I hear Wesley or Whitfield or these others. There's something that these men carried something, finny, And uh, hallelujah, I want to see it. I want to see a move of the Spirit in this generation. I don't want to hear about the Hebrides and about Wales and about... Uh, I want to see it in this generation. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Glory to God. I I don't want to wait till heaven. I want to see it now. I want to see the fire fall now in my generation. Elijah saw the fire God fall in his. The Bible says David served God in his generation. I want to serve God in mine. And I want to see my generation come to Christ. I'm not comfortable with multitudes of people going to hell. I don't want to carry on church as usual. I want to see a move. I want to see people genuinely touched by God. Genuinely set free from their addictions and their bondages. Their eyes being opened to know the hope to which they've been called. I don't want religion. I'm not happy with a title of being pastor. I, I, I want to see God move. Move in our generation Lord I pray in Jesus name. But get this, what he's saying in this quote. Thou must be righteous and holy before thou can live righteously and holily. That seems like a paradox. I have to become righteous and holy. No, he says you must be righteous and holy before you can live that way. You see, righteousness is conferred upon you. True, what Jesus did on the cross. And that is why you can live righteously. That is why you can live a holy life. Amen. Hallelujah. Because when you know that you're righteous. That you're accepted in the beloved. That you're a child of God. You can pray with confidence. It's not arrogance or pride to know who you are in Christ. It's not pride for my kids to walk up to the fridge and take whatever they want. They don't ask me. Oh, oh, Daddy, would you mind if I please take some, some something here from the? Fr- I say, What's wrong with you, kid? You know, and, and yet this is the way we're coming to God. Oh, oh Lord, I'm, I know I don't measure up, and I know I'm not this. I'm not. He's looking at all. Oh, look, my child, I love you. Come on, he's saying, come on, what do you need? Walk up and take it. Oh God, I, I, I need a big miracle. I need healing in my body. Or I, I need a home or I need a, a, a man of God or a woman of God. Oh Lord, I, Lord, take it in the name of Jesus. Amen, take what you need. Walk up, take it by faith. Hallelujah, you don't have to crawl anymore. Hallelujah. For we are his masterpiece, it says in uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 10 in the New Living. We are his masterpiece. You're a masterpiece of his grace. He loves you. Uh, you, me. you we, are his, we are his treasure. We are his special treasure. Come on. We're loved by him. Praise you, Jesus. First John chapter 5 verse 14. Jesus' name. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But I don't feel like God heard me. Feelings have nothing to do with it. And until you learn to overcome your feelings, you will never walk in faith. This is the confidence. God wants us to walk with confidence. See, you know, for some of us, we've, been, we've had inferiority, negativity, inadequacy, unbelief beaten into us over the years to the point where we can't approach God as our father. We are approaching him as a slave owner. We are approaching him as some distant, austere being that's ready to a, send a thunderbolt. You know, if you, if you, he loves you. He, he, his wrath was poured out on his son so that you could be righteous. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So God's not going to give you something that's not according to his will. Well, how do I know, Pastor John, if it's according to his will? If it's according to his will, it will be according to his word. His word and his will are one. So when we see that healing is provided for, by his stripes we were healed, we understand that healing belongs to us. It's your covenant right. You don't have to ask, Lord, is it your will to heal me? You don't ask God if it's your will to do something that he's explicitly shown you is his will. Oh God, if, 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 if it's if it's your will, would you set me free in this area? No, it is his will. But, but, God, you know, God, uh, this is a big thing. Uh, uh, I need 100 euros before Friday. Yeah. Can you do that, God? Listen, the Bible says the streets of heaven are paved with gold. First, uh, uh, Third John 2, beloved, I wish above all else that you may prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. He wants to look after every aspect of your being. And I know some of you that have maybe embraced, you know, this, this idea that God is, is, is happy with you living in poverty. I will simply say, as a father, I'm not glorified if my kids are clothed in rags and they're hungry and they're not well washed and they don't have a nice home to live in. That doesn't glorify me as a father. You know, I, I think it's, it's an insult to God to somehow... Think that God takes pleasure in, in you being miserable and not having enough? He's a God of more than enough. I'm not talking about uh, this unfettered greed that some people try to proclaim. That's not that's not biblical or, or the gospel. But you know what? God will give you more than enough. Amen. Hallelujah. He wants to bless you if you have faith to receive it. If you don't, that's fine. He, you know, leave it to the next life. That's okay. But you know what? Uh, it's it uh, shaking a minute. This is Amen. This is the confidence. God wants some of you to have confidence in your prayer life, to approach him with confidence. And it says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we also know we have petitions that we've asked of him. Amen. So we can have confidence in prayer, but that confidence is rooted in knowledge of your right standing with God. Righteousness causes all fear to leave our lives. Number four. Romans 1.17, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. You see, righteousness and faith work together. Therefore, if you want to walk in faith, you must also walk in righteousness. And if you want to walk in righteousness, you must also walk in faith. They work together, because you can be full of fear or full of faith, but you can't be full of both. It's either one or the other, and I know which one I choose. I choose faith. Amen? Uh, Romans 5, 17, again. uh, They shall reign as kings in life by one man, Jesus Christ. You see, a righteous person is a bold and a fearless person. And when you know that you're righteous, you won't have any fear in the face of darkness. I love the story of Smith Wigglesworth. You know, he was uh, back in uh, 1900s England. And uh, he was going upstairs in Bradford. He had his little candle. There was no electric light back then, but he had a little candle. He walks up to this dark bedroom and um, (laughs) he sees right there, uh, the devil is sitting there um, on the landing and... um, He walks over, Uh, he he was in bed, he gets out of bed, he hears this noise, there's the devil sitting there, and all he has is one candle. Now most of us, if we were to be honest, would have probably jumped through the window, Um, but he's there with just a little candle. The devil is sitting there in his uh, upstairs landing, and um, uh, Smith Wigglesworth says, oh, it's just you, and he goes, he blows out his candle, goes back into bed, and goes to sleep you know, he was a bold man. Why? He understood his righteousness. Righteousness causes all fear to leave our lives. Amen. When you know that you're righteous, you won't be afraid. You won't be anxious about the the, the devil. Some Christians, you know, they have more faith in the devil than they do in God. Amen. And again, you know, being righteous doesn't mean that you're exempt from the attacks of the enemy. It just means that you will fight and you will win. Shame, guilt, inferiority, condemnation. They lose their grip on the man or woman who who knows that they are righteous in God's sight. John 14 and 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh. And hath nothing in me. Hallelujah. The NIV says, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. Thank you, Jesus. The ESV, I will no longer talk with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Can you say that today? The devil has no hold on me. He has no claim on me. He has no place in my life. Hallelujah. Because you might say, oh, I couldn't say that, Pastor John, because this, 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 this. No, when you know you're righteous, the enemy has no access to your life. When you know you're righteous, you might say, yes, I did those things, but they've been wiped out. I'm righteous, I'm forgiven, I'm free. They no longer exist except in my own mind. Because when you know you're righteous in God's side, bondages break and demons flee. You see, Christ commanded storms to cease, lepers to be cleansed, demons to leave, even the dead to rise. And he did this as a righteous man because he had no sense of fear, inadequacy. He wasn't in Intimidated by darkness or death. He was bold. Amen. Again. I I quoted it earlier. Isaiah 64. 6 declares. All our righteousness. Is as filthy rags. Because you don't become righteous. If you know Christ as your Savior, you already are. Let me say that again. You don't become righteous if you know Jesus because you already are righteous. 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of him are you in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. This is who you are, not who you're trying to be. Amen? Because Satan will take advantage of you until you grasp this. And sadly, there are many who don't get this revelation until the next life. They still get to heaven, but they go through hell on the way. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. Like I said, there are some people, like I said, who don't understand their righteousness. Yes, their faith is in Jesus But they're, like I said, full of fear, shame, condemnation. It's not until they get to heaven. You know, the Bible says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I wonder are those tears, tears of regrets, tears of regret, you know, uh, that people feel when they realize what God would have done in their life if only they understood their righteousness. If only they understood what was theirs in Christ. Amen. That people who lived way below what God had called them uh, to to accomplish or to have or to walk in. You know, uh, let me read this by A.W. Tozer. Brethren, our Lord is more than able to take care of our past. He pardons instantly and forgives completely, and his blood makes us worthy. The goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. You see, You need to confess and believe what the Bible says about you as opposed to what you feel. Declare, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm free. And as you do, fear will leave. Now, some of you would never dare to say that because A, you don't feel like it's true. And B, you would think it's pride to say it. But this is what the Bible says about you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says... God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So just dare to say what the word of God says about you. 1 John 4, 17. It says, love has been perfected among us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. For quite a lot of my Christian life, I was very fearful about the return of Christ. I was very fearful that I would not be ready, that I, that I hadn't done enough, and that, that maybe God would look at me and say, well, why didn't you do this, that, or the other. The Bible says that we have boldness in the day of judgment not because we've done everything right. I know I certainly have. I know there's lots of areas where God is still working on me. But the Bible says we can have boldness in the day of judgment because Christ is our righteousness. We get to heaven, not by our performance, but by His. Amen? So, again, this is important for us to grasp this because when you know who you are and whose you are, you will have confidence in the face of the storms of life that others don't. Even in the face of apparent failure. 1 John 2.1, my children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, Jesus Christ is the righteous one, and his righteousness is now our righteousness by faith. We have an advocate. Yes, some of you may have done some things that are wrong. Maybe you have failed. Even You know, in the last few hours, some of you might have done something wrong. Know this you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ is standing, He's your high priest. There is nothing you can do to make Him love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make Him love you less. This is the power of unconditional love. I'm not perfect, but I'm loved. I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm not worthy, but I am accepted. I'm not always right, but I am always righteous because of the blood of Jesus. He is my righteousness. I'm redeemed. And just to clarify, I'm not worthy in terms of my works, and neither are you. But Christ has made us worthy. Therefore, I don't work for my salvation. I work out my salvation. I don't work to be saved. I work because I am saved. Can you see the difference Some people work because they're trying to be saved. Some people are trying to work for their salvation rather than work out their salvation. Amen. So again, Martin Luther said this. Our works do not generate righteousness. Rather, our righteousness in Christ generates works. Hallelujah. You see, it's out of your righteousness you can work for God. Hallelujah. Um, uh, Pastor Agent Rogers. I believe that a great number of people are going to die and go to hell. Because they're counting on their religiosity in the church. Instead of their relationship with Jesus to get them to heaven. They give lip service to repentance and faith. But they've never been born again. And I think that is tragic. That somebody could be so close. And yet so far. Amen. You see Righteousness. Let me quit. Righteousness, firstly, it's by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, righteousness enables us to access the presence of God. Thirdly, righteousness permits God's power to flow in and through your life. Fourthly, righteousness causes all fear to leave our lives. And lastly, give me five minutes, righteousness lifts a society and a nation. Proverbs 14 and verse 34 in the New American Standard says, Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any any, uh, people. You see, righteousness lifts our nation while sin and depravity drag them down. To be honest, many Western nations are either in the gutter or heading for it. But it's not too late to see real and lasting change. Because the answer isn't found in a change of government or policy. The answer is found in repentance and restoration. The the answer is found in repentance, restoration, and absolutely righteousness. Isaiah 32, 17. And the work of righteousness will be peace. And the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. I don't know if you've gone through the streets of our our, our towns, you know, late at night. And I know with COVID, everything's been very dead. But normally, you can just hear this riotous uh, sound of of people just going crazy. But you know what? The Bible says, the work of righteousness will be peace. The service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. You see, our, our young people are overdosing and stabbing each other in the streets of our cities you know in some british cities now they're, and particularly under under um, you know uh, liberal mayors so that they, you know I've, i just read an article where they're teaching teenagers how to give uh, you know emergency treatment to somebody who has been stabbed and, and and this is happening in our streets you know we we slaughter the unborn in millions Violence, deceit, betrayal, perversion fill our society. Just go through, you know, your Netflix and see, you know, the perversion and filth that is there. You know, every, every night families sit down to be entertained by filth and violence. And yet we continue to act surprised when this spills out onto our streets. Exactly what did we expect? Because every seed reproduces after its own kind. We have sown the wind and now, like Hosea 8 and verse 7 says, we are reaping the whirlwind. Crowds chant, no justice, no peace. As if this is something that can be achieved by government or court decree. But ultimately we have no peace because we have no righteousness. The problem is rooted in sin, not skin. The problem isn't gender, it's sin. The problem isn't inequity, it is sin. And righteousness, not riots, are the answer. The truth is, no Jesus, no peace. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says that Christ is the prince of peace. That's why I don't believe in black power or white power or any other power. The only power I believe in is Holy Spirit power that can regenerate a sinful human being. There is no government that can do that. There is no philosophy that can do that. There is no movement that can do that. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's why I've committed the rest of my life to preaching this message. Because I know that the gospel is the answer. The church is the answer to the problems in our society. And until we do what we're called to do, which is proclaim the gospel without apology, nothing is going to change, except it's going to get worse. Holy Spirit power. Dr. Alveda King, uh, many of you might know her. She's a wonderful lady. She's been one of the most vocal pro-life voices, uh, not only in America, but in in the world. And she is the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. And she said this, we're not separate races. There's only one human race. And I believe it is a strategy of Satan. For us to look at each other through the lens of race and color. And in the name of Jesus, I just declare that spirit will never come into the church of Jesus Christ. Because it's from hell. We see each other as brothers and sisters. Full stop. Malachi 4.2 says that Jesus is the son of righteousness. And if we will only exalt And enthrone him in our lives, in our families, our churches, our nations. He will shine his everlasting light. Hallelujah. Through our societies. I know some of you don't believe me. But Jesus is the only answer. He's the only answer to the predicament our generation finds itself in. Because we have turned from God. And we need to turn back. And I declare that today over Ireland. We have turned from God. We danced in the street to celebrate gay marriage. We danced in the street to celebrate the right to kill little unborn babies. We need to turn back to God. The answer isn't found in religion. The answer is found in a relationship with the living God. You know the Me Too movement? Some of you saying, John, you've, you've pressed just about every button. Well, some of these things need to be said. Because there's a spirit behind some of this. The Me Too movement is the logical conclusion to the so-called sexual revolution. We have cheapened and commodified sex. We have disconnected it from any sense of purpose or commitment. We have mocked marriage. We have denied biology. And yet we act surprised at the collateral damage in people's lives. We have made sex the center of our culture rather than love, truth, and righteousness. And now we are reaping the harvest of the seed that we have sown in broken lives, dysfunction, despair, and a society that is literally coming apart at the seams. Law will not fix this. Politicians will not fix this. Only a return to truth and righteousness. That's why we've got to get off these dumb 15 minute little sermonettes, acting like that's going to change anything. Or you've got, uh, you know, I had people tell me over this lockdown, oh, Pastor John, you shouldn't preach over 15 minutes because it's online. Listen, this is the Word of God, it is the truth that will determine where you spend eternity. And I made the decision after spend the next 10 years preaching on a camera. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take time because the word of God deserves our time. It deserves our attention. People walk into a cinema, sit down there, watch the Lord rings for three hours, won't even get up for a pee. If you come into church after after 30 minutes, you're getting kind of you're shifting your seat. Is this guy ever gonna end? Hey, I'm when he's starting. Praise you, Jesus. Come on. Just pray in the spirit for a minute. Lord, we want to see a revival. We want to see a move of your spirit. Glory to God. Praise you, Jesus. I'm just getting started because, you know, next week we're going to have people in this place. hey, you you better put on your seatbelt next week. Glory to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Isaiah 58 and 12. Those from among you shall build up the old waste places. So, and again let me just address this I appreciate this 2021 but you study any of these men and women you know Charles Finney used to preach for two hours Wesley and Whitfield. some of their sermons were probably an hour and a half I've read them I'm just simply saying we need to make an adjustment in our heart for his word and we need to come ready and I just want to speak to you if you're watching. You're intending coming next week. Come ready to worship. Come ready to hear. Come ready to have your life transformed by the word of God. In Jesus name. Amen. Hallelujah. Isaiah 58 and 12. Those from among you shall build up the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of streets to dwell in. Our streets. We need to see restoration. Look at what's happening in our streets. The despair, the suicide, the brokenness, the abuse, the dysfunction. We are called to make a change. Righteousness will rebuild our homes, our towns, our cities, and our nations. Righteousness makes all the difference. But you cannot build up others if you haven't been built up yourself. You can't lead others where you haven't been willing to go. And if there's one area I believe that many Christians fall short, it's this. We need a revelation of righteousness. As the church, we need to get back to preaching the gospel. Martin Luther, as the worship group come forward. Christ took our sins and the sins of the whole world, as well as the Father's wrath on his shoulders. And he has drowned them both in himself. So that we are hereby reconciled to God and become completely righteous. Martin Luther got that revelation and it set all of Europe on fire. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. My last Bible verse. I want to read it here in the Passion. And it says, The mystery of righteousness. For the mystery of righteousness is truly amazing. He was revealed as a human being and as our great high priest in the spirit. Angels gazed upon him as a man and the glorious message of his kingly rulership is being preached to the nations. Hmm. I, I, I quoted it today at the, at the cross, our service at the cross this morning. The word Savior appears, I think it's about 33 times in the Bible. The word Lord appears 433 times. You see, Savior has to do with earth. Lord has to do hallelujah. Savior has to do with heaven. Lord has to do with earth. So we're talking about uh, the glorious message of his kingly rulership. Is Jesus your ruler? It's been preached to the nations. Many have believed in him and he has taken them to heaven and has ascended into the place of exalted glory in the heavenly realm. Yes, great is this mystery of righteousness. Great is this mystery of righteousness. It's a mystery because sadly so many have missed it. But the Bible reveals the secret to this divine mystery. It's that righteousness is now ours through faith in Christ. You know, many have concluded that this verse of, of uh, 1 Timothy 3.16 was actually an ancient hymn sung by the early church because a lot of it is very poetic and it rhymes um, uh, you know, in, in the Greek. And yes... If it was an ancient hymn, I believe it's because the early church leaders wanted believers to memorize this vital revelation, the mystery of righteousness. I pray God will bring every one of us to a place of deep understanding of our righteousness in Christ, because it's only then that we will reign in life. Let me finish with this quote by Jonathan Edwards, the great American revivalist. If there be ground for you to trust in your own righteousness then all that Christ did to purchase salvation and all God did to prepare the way for you is in vain. You see, we can't trust in our righteousness. We must trust in his. Hallelujah. Christ is our righteousness. We trust in him. We look to him. We wait on him. Crazy Jesus, and so I just want to give you an opportunity today. I'm going to pray for you to receive Christ in a moment. But I know there are some who are watching me, and you have said, Pastor John, that describes me. I've lived my Christian life full of condemnation, full of shame, full of of feelings of inadequacy, of failure. Of my prayer life simply contends, consists of me saying, I repent, I repent, I repent, I repent, I repent to this, I repent to that. Oh, Lord, forgive me for this, and forgive me for that. No. Oh Lord, I'm so unworthy and I'm so this and I'm so that. Listen, I believe in repentance, but you know what? God wants us to step beyond repentance into the righteousness that he has conferred upon us through Christ. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, could you just lift your hands to the Lord right now? The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. doesn't mean that you haven't done things wrong. It doesn't mean that you haven't fallen short in some areas. It just simply means that God has covered it through Christ. His blood covers your sins. It washes them away and you are now righteous in God's sight. So you can walk right into God's presence because you're His child. You can have a confidence the way my little children just walk to the fridge or walk to take food or do whatever. They, they're my children. I love them. Everything I have is theirs. It belongs to them because they're my sons. They're my daughters. Well, you are a son and you're a daughter of the King. And so the first step, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, just pray this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin, that you lived a perfect life, and that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus Christ. And forgive me of my sins I accept you as my Lord and Savior and I want you to lift your hands to the Lord say thank you Jesus for the blood you shed you took my place on the cross you have been made unto me righteousness I receive your righteousness today I declare I'm the righteousness of God in Christ I declare my past is forgiven, because your blood has cleansed me. I declare I am a child of God. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven is my home. I have everything to rejoice about, because I am righteous because of the cross. If you believe that, could you give a shout of praise to the Lord today? Come on, hallelujah. Lord, we declare freedom from all legalism, freedom from all ritual, freedom from every effort, every work, Lord, freedom from self-righteousness, Lord. We thank you that we walk in your righteousness, Lord. We walk in your righteousness. We thank you that we are your children, that we are beloved by you, Lord God. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Have we got a song that we can enter into? Hope to see you all next Sunday morning, 10 a.m., 1230. Book your place on Eventbrite. And let's lift the roof next Sunday as we gather in person. We love you and we bless you. Amen.